to start off with a question, perhaps the most important question you can possibly ask yourself or anyone else. Simple question that we're going to ask today is, are you ready for God to judge? Are you ready for God to judge? The witness of Scripture is that He will judge, that He is a judge, that He is just in His judgments, perfect and holy in character and nature, so that when He does so, it's good and right, even though on the face of it, we read words like this and we think, who is this, who is this God who brings destruction? We, we, we think that because we're not Him. We think that because we are imperfect and unable to carry the weight that He alone can carry because He is worthy. So the question for today is, are you ready for God to judge? Because there are two parts of this judgment. There's a part of this judgment that we're reading about today, especially, you're not going to find words like grace and mercy and love in these uh, words today. But you are going to find a lot about destruction and damnation and God bringing His wrath and judgment against sin. So there are two parts of this. When judgment comes, there are those who worship the beast as it sort of talks about in Revelation, there are those who worship the evil one who will experience that damnation and that destruction. And then there are those for whom that same judgment brings freedom. We'll talk a little bit more about that today. So the question is, are you ready for God to judge? I saw a kid, saw a kid driving his car this week, just uh, I think two or three days ago, uh, here, in, here in town. Saw a kid driving a car this week that on the very front windshield at the top, it said, only God can judge me. Only God can judge me. He was a, you know, a kid with like a flat brimmed hat, you know, sticking up. Uh, no t-shirt on, had a cigarette hanging out of his mouth, sort of hanging out the side a little bit, you know, rolling like this, nice and slow, so that everybody around him's like, you can't judge me for my driving. Only God, I mean, he was that kind of a, a kid, you know, pretend thug kind of kid. Couldn't have been all of 20 or, or 22. He thinks he's Tupac, which is a reference that about six of you understand. So this is, I'm going to show you who this is. This is who this kid thinks he is. He thinks he's Tupac. This, uh, this guy is uh, actually dead now, but Tupac, T-U-P-A-C, was a hip-hop musician. A hip-hop musician. Uh, some of you may not even know what that is. He was what we call a rapper. <laughs> it was what we call a rapper. This guy, Tupac, <clears throat> became famous, uh, sort of popular, for blurring the lines between his music, the content of his music, and the life he was living. Sort of became the same thing. Uh, blurred the lines between the reality of his music and uh, his life. So he would talk in his music about, about violence and, and gangs and live in what he called the thug life. You know, gangs, drugs, sex, uh, all that kind of stuff. And, and, and he, would, he would talk about that in his music and glorify that in his music. And then his life started to actually sort of look like that. And he came under flack, obviously, uh, for that. And, uh, and, and, and at that point, when he didn't want to be held, held accountable for his actions, he began to say, only God can judge me. Only God can judge me. And so he wrote this song called, only God can judge me, which is, which is true, which is true, but I'm afraid that for Tupac and for this kid rolling around in Greenville, and for a lot of people in our world today, it is really a way of saying, 
Let me live my life how I want. Leave me alone so I can live my life how I want. For many in our world today, only God can judge me is just a way to say, let me be Lord of my own life, thank you. You can't judge me. You can't judge me. Only God can judge me. That's sort of the feeling behind it. It's like we said last week as we studied Revelation. We are more often interested in vindicating ourselves this side of heaven than we are in God's glory being made known than we are in God being vindicated. We are often more interested in us being vindicated this side of heaven. That is what we put our time and our effort and our energy into a lot of the time more than we sometimes are interested in God being vindicated. Which, which makes you think like, okay, so, so who, who's really being worshipped here? Sadly, if, if we knew how true the words only God can judge me really are, then we might prepare this side of heaven for Him to judge us that side of heaven. You see, friends, you only, you only truly believe that God is judge. You only truly believe that God is judge if you are currently preparing for your court date. You only truly believe that God is judge if you are currently preparing for your court date. And the preparations we make for our court date are not always the preparations given to us in Scripture. The only preparation that works for us given in Scripture is the justified life that we live based on Jesus' perfect, sinless life for us. His blood given for us. You can't work your way into preparation for that court date. You can't have enough niceness, enough goodness, enough worldly anything about you to prepare for that court date. So we're going to look at what Scripture says about what it means to prepare for that court date. So the question is, are you ready? Are you ready for God to judge? Because the wrath, the wrath of God's judgment against sin, the wrath of God's judgment against sin, contrary to how we feel or think, is not an overreaction. The wrath of God's judgment against sin is not an overreaction. If God is perfectly good, and righteous, and just, and holy. If, if the reality about who God is is more than we can express, then this punishment fits the crime. This punishment fits the crime of humanity's sin against Him. Are you ready for God to judge? Let's jump into the text and see how this develops throughout the text, and we'll call out a couple little things, a couple little tidbits here and there as we ask this question about readiness. In the first verse there, we see the command of God. Verse 1, 16, 1. This is where we see the command. And all these bold judgments, B-O-W-L, all these bold judgments follow from it. We'll kind of unpack those as we go along. It says this, verse 1, the command of God. Then I heard, this is the Apostle John, then I heard a loud voice, we'll talk about that loud voice in a second, from the temple telling the seven angels, go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. This phrase, loud voice, uh, or voices, which happens once, uh, occurs 20 times in Revelation. And it's all throughout the book. And every time that it occurs, it's one of the good guys saying it. It's like God, Jesus, an angel, or, or the people of God who are singing. Every time loud voices shows up, it's always the good guys. So it's like there's these 
sort of exclamation points throughout Revelation uh, that, that, that are saying, turn up the music, listen up, this is important stuff here, so take note. We see this in our passage in verses 1 and 17 today, and both times it's God who is the loud voice. Here's how we know this. Turn back to 15 verse 8. 15 verse 8, just one verse before the immediately preceding context. We know this because there it says, The sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from His power, and no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. We talked last week about how 15 is an introduction to 16. It's just sort of summarizing what is detailed here, so we know that these two verses relate. It says that in 15.8, The sanctuary was filled with the smoke from the glory of God and from His power, so God had been in the sanctuary. It says no one could enter the sanctuary until the plagues of the angels were finished. So, So this loud voice from the temple where no one could enter was from God the Father. Now go back to 16.1. It says, I heard a loud voice, God the Father, from the temple telling the seven angels. Remember, seven is the Bible number for completeness, for fullness. So these seven angels, like the seven trumpets and like the seven seals, are a picture of the fullness and the finality of God's judgment. So it says, go and pour out on the earth. This is the command itself. Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God, straight from the mouth of God the Father from the throne room. Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls. Go and pour out on the earth the fullness of my wrath, is what he is saying. And these seven angels, of course, angel here is just a word that means messenger, so they're carrying out the work of God. These angels are here to carry out this command uh, from God to basically just bring it. So this is a picture of what's going to happen when God finishes what he starts. Something to be aware of as we start to get into this bowl judgment thing here is I want to give you a little bit of background. Uh, if you're a note taker, you're going to want to write some of this down. This is a going to want a moment. Uh, this picture of the seven bowl judgments corresponds to a few places in Scripture. It's sort of gathering up these images in Scripture. Two of them are in Revelation. One is in Exodus. There are a few other places here and there, but primarily it's Revelation 6 through 8, where it corresponds to the seals. Remember the seven seals, where only the Lamb is worthy to open the seals. And the seal, of course, is like just a, a wax stamp. Uh, it's, it's other things too, but it's a stamp that verifies the contents of what's inside. And only the Lamb is okay, is worthy to open those seals. So the seven seals in Revelation 6 to 8, it also corresponds to the seven trumpets. There's a bunch of cool parallelism and, and correspondence between Revelation 16 and the, the uh, seven trumpets in Revelation 8 through 11. We'll point out a couple of them here. And then also there are a bunch of cool parallels to how this in Revelation is another exodus. This is another example of the exodus. And we'll point out every place where the bowls fit with what happens in Exodus. There are a bunch of similarities, but there's also one crucial difference I want to tell you about. What's going on here in Revelation 16 is the beginning of the final full judgment. And we know that because the previous two places where we see the seven seals and the seven trumpets have a pause between the sixth and the seventh. 
There's this extended amount of Scripture where there's a sort of a transition and a pause between the six seals, the six trumpets, and the seventh seal and the seventh trumpet. But here in Revelation 16, when the seven bowls of God's judgment finally come, they just plain come. And we know that because there's no pause between the sixth and seventh judgments. In other words, there's no more waiting in Revelation 16. The rest of Scripture is just going to continue to, to show the detail of what we've been introduced to in 15. So the full weight of God's wrath is being made known, which is to say that God cares about himself. Which sounds to us a little like, well, I mean, come on, who is he to care that much about himself? <laughs> like, I know, I know, I wouldn't feel justified in bringing wrath <laughs> and you'd be right you would not be justified in bringing wrath that is the fundamental difference between us and this passage this is from the viewpoint of a God who is perfect and holy in character and in nature and he cares a lot about maintaining his perfection you know a lot of times we throw around this term about That's, I, I, gotta be, I gotta be true to myself like I gotta be true to myself you know, we throw that around like like that means something. Only God is worthy of being true to himself. In fact, he's not just worthy, he has to be. For God not to bring wrath against sin is sin. For God not to bring total, full, and final wrath and anger against sin that rebels against his perfection is Sin. And he can't have sin. He can't, he can't have it with him, in him, around him. Relationship with him doesn't work with sin. And so, so when we think about God bringing full and final wrath, you sort of have this you know, existential feeling of like, how does he do that? that? That doesn't compute. That's not right. And in your terms and my terms, you're right. It doesn't compute. You and I cannot bring judgment. Full and final judgment is not our responsibility. God cares a lot about maintaining His perfection. And because of that, He will destroy all of evil in the process. Let's look at how this continues to unpack here. The first bowl, verse 2. We're going to sort of fly through these seven bowls here. Verse 2, the first bowl. The first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, meaning it followed God's command given to it in verse 1. And harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. That's from Revelation 13, those who worship the beast and have its mark. So the, for the first bowl, which verse 2 said is poured out on the earth, the result is painful sores that came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. Turn back with me for a second to Exodus 9, verses 8 through 11. Exodus 9, verses 8 through 11. We're not going to look up all of these uh, references in Exodus. I just want to show you a couple of them along the way. Remember, we're saying that what happens in Revelation 16 is a model of the Exodus. It's, it's a new Exodus. Uh, it's the final Exodus. So, uh, Exodus 9, 8 through 11. 
If you'll remember, the Exodus is uh, one of the greatest events in all of the Old Testament, and it's a great event in the history of God's people when God delivered them from Egypt, from the tyranny of the Pharaoh. And so, so here Revelation is saying, here's another Exodus. Starting with the first bowl, there's a bunch of cool tie-ins here. Exodus 9, 8 through 11 says this. This is the Lord commanding Moses and Aaron to bring the judgment. They sort of function like the angels or the messengers of the judgment. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is verse 8, Take handfuls of soot from the kiln and let Moses throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh. It shall become fine dust over all the land of Egypt, and here it is, and become boils breaking out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. The rest of those verses just sort of recount how that happened. Later on in the Old Testament, in two places in Deuteronomy 28, it summarizes the consequences of disobedience of God's commands by saying that when we disobey God's commands, it will bring upon us sores and boils. In fact, it uses a phrase about calling it the boils of Egypt. So when you disobey God, Deuteronomy later on in the Old Testament is saying, you will experience the boils of Egypt. And they are translated as evil sores with two words that are exactly the same words used in Revelation. So there's a bunch of cool Bible tie-ins here between these bold judgments in Revelation 16 and the Exodus event, which is to say, and this is key, the judgment of the Exodus brought two things, death on the Egyptians and freedom for the Israelites. And so when we get to Revelation and we see these judgments, we must be aware that these judgments both bring damnation and destruction for those who worship the beast and its image, for those who worship the evil one, but it also brings freedom for those who worship the Lord. Death and condemnation for those who disobey, freedom for those who obey. That's the lesson learned from the parallel between Revelation and Exodus. We don't have time to unpack all that along the way. I just wanted to show you an example of that before we get into the rest of the bowls here. Second bowl, verse 3, says this, The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea. You may be wondering, why are bowls used for these, these judgments here? Um, bowls were used by the priests in the temple uh, to pour the blood that they'd collected from the sacrificial lamb onto the altar as a symbol of God purifying His people. Uh, the, belt, the bowls or basins were also used for, for washing and purifying, and they were used as a part of their temple worship. So, so here in Revelation, that's part of the background of the bowls of judgment. For any Jew who'd be reading Revelation, the picture of the priests doing their job in the temple would use these kinds of bowls, and so it's symbolic of the judgment uh, that's being poured out. So verse 3, second bowl, the second angel poured out his bowl into the sea and it became like the blood of a corpse and every living thing died that was in the sea. Just like Exodus, again, if you're taking notes, the parallel is Exodus 7, 17 through 21. If you want to look that up later, Exodus 7, 17 through 21, where the same thing happens in the Exodus. And the second bowl here in Revelation does the same thing. He pours it out. The water, in this case, the sea, turns into polluted blood, just like 
it did in the Exodus. Look at verse 4 where we see the third bowl. The third bowl is another parallel, in fact, to the same exact plague in Exodus that the second bowl is a parallel to. hope that makes sense. The second and the third trumpet judgments in Revelation also divide the same Exodus plague into two judgments. Which means that there's a tie-in here between Revelation 16, Revelation 8, Exodus. There are all these places where Revelation gathers up these images and this history from lots of parts of Scripture and says, it's like that thing that happened there. So it happens twice in Revelation to take that same single Exodus event where the water becomes blood and puts it into two judgments. So the two judgments here are the second bowl and the third bowl. So look at verse 4 where we see the third bowl. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and like the other one, they also became blood. Now in verses 5 and 6 and 7 here, we see an interesting sort of dialogue between the angel who brings this judgment and those who are under the altar. Look at verse 5. This is a telling, this is a telling little dialogue because it, it gives us some insight as to why these judgments are coming. And there are two reasons why these judgments are coming. This is telling verse 5. It says, I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, Just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. First of all, the reason, the rationale for this judgment is, number one, the perfection of God. The perfection of God is the reason. Because God is perfectly holy and righteous, unlike us, His own perfection is a rationale for these judgments. Notice in verse 5 that He is called just, that He is called O Holy One. Also notice it says, who is and who was, but it doesn't say who is to come. Normally when the title of God says who is and who was, it also says and who is to come. But there are two places in Revelation, this is one of them, the other one is Revelation eleven seventeen, where it says who is and who was, but it doesn't say who is to come because he's come. Because the delay is over. Because, because waiting is no more. And the full and final wrath is being pictured here because he is and he was, but he's not to come because he's brought these judgments. All right, keep reading there in uh, verse uh, 6, which gives us the second reason, the second reason for bringing the judgments. The first was because God is perfect. Here's the second one, verse 6. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets. They there in verse 6, that second word for they is those who worship the beast. They have shed the blood of saints and prophets. And you, meaning God Almighty, have given them blood to drink. Which is, that, which is to say that their punishment fits their crime. It says it's what they deserve. That's what the angel in charge of the waters says in verse 6. If, if this punishment fits the crime of humanity's sin against God, both corporately and individually, what does that say? about the culpability and responsibility we bear for having sinned. And what does that say about who God really is? 
This is a picture of how seriously God takes His own holiness. I might even go so far to say no single more important concern exists in the universe than for God to maintain His holiness. You and I don't breathe if God doesn't maintain His holiness. You and I, in our molecular fabric, fall apart. We, we disintegrate if God is not holy. So, how much more seriously should we take sin? God takes it this seriously. God takes it this seriously. This is a picture of how God takes seriously His own holiness. And, he, and you don't offend God <laughs> by living your life as if it's your own and then expect Him to save you. Meaning like you can't offend Him by sinning against Him and living your life as if it's your own and then expect later on down the road that he's going to say, you were Lord of your own life. That's cool. I'll save you too. That's not being holy from God's vantage point. If you're, if you're living a life that is offensive to God by claiming your Lord and not Him, then you, in effect, join with the worshipers of the beast who, if you remember, follow the lies of the evil one and that always, always ends up in death. So as we've said earlier today, God's judgment brings death and damnation for those who worship the beast. And here in verse 7, judgment brings freedom for those who worship him. Look at verse 7. I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord, God the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. So the second reason that he comes and brings judgment is shown to us in verse 6 because those who are innocently uh, killed, martyred, for God are indicative of those who live their life and worship to Him who have been killed by the beast. Remember we've talked about how persecution and suffering can mean even this side of heaven being killed, beheaded. Remember the end of Hebrews? They were uh, killed with the sword. All of that can happen <laughs> and you can still be an overcomer. So, so the two reasons are God's perfection and character and nature for Him bringing judgment and to vindicate those who worship Him. And those who worship Him are the ones under the altar. Verse 7 says, I heard the altar saying, this is a personification of the altar, Yes, Lord, God the Almighty, true and just are Your judgments. We know that these are actually the saints under the altar from Revelation 6, 9, and 10, if you want to look that up later. We don't have time to go there, but Revelation 6, 9, and 10. These are those who were under the altar because they're covered by the blood of the Lamb. And they're the ones that are praying, How long, O Lord, till you come? Well, the answer is here. He's coming. Got a lot more to go here. Let's boogie. The fourth angel, verse 8. Verses 8 and 9. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat, 
and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give Him glory. Both this one and the next bowl are parallels or contrasts to Exodus 10.21 where the Lord told Moses, Straight out your, stretch out your hands to the heaven as there may be darkness over the land of Egypt. So the fourth bowl in 8 and 9 is the opposite of the darkness because it intensifies the sun as a foretaste of what's coming in Revelation 20.15 that is the lake of fire. And the fifth bowl, verses 10 and uh, 11, I believe, 10 and 11, says this, The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. The kingdom of the beast is this world, plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. So both the fourth and the fifth bowls are uh, a contrast and a parallel to Exodus 10, 21 and following, if you're writing that down, if you're taking notes, Exodus 10, 21 and following. Let's jump ahead here to the sixth, angel who poured out his bowl in the great river Euphrates verse 12 the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east it says and I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet three unclean spirits like frogs if you remember from a few weeks ago we talked about this false trinity the fake trinity of the red dragon, the first beast that is the Antichrist, and the second beast that is the false prophet. Those are the false trinity. And uh, that's part of how with the wound that looked like it was healed, that's part of how uh, the evil one works wonders in the world, wonders to get people to worship it. So that same trinity, that same false trinity shows up here in 1613. And the parallel to Exodus is seen in these frogs. Verse 14, For they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle. That's what this false trinity that has three unclean spirits like frogs. The frogs is a reference to uh, Exodus 8, uh, 2, no, I'm sorry, yes. Exodus 8, 2 through 11, if you're taking notes on that. It says, these are demonic spirits, verse 14, performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God, the Almighty. So this false trinity is, is gathering its troops for its final battle in which it will be defeated. And it says this, verse 15, inserted in all of this death and destruction and damnation is verse 15, the words of Jesus. that say, behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. Earlier in Revelation, in the third chapter, to the church of Sardis, Jesus gives these same words of warning. Revelation 3, 2, and 3, if you want to look that up later. He says, wake up. He says, wake up. Remember what you've received and heard. He says, keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Which is the same words of Jesus in Matthew 24, 36 and following. If you want to write that down, it's a great passage to look up later. Matthew 24, 36 and following. Listen to Matthew 24, 42 to 4, where Jesus compares himself, like we just read, to a thief in the middle of the night. The thief is not somebody else. The thief is Jesus. 
Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would have not let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. It's not saying Jesus is a thief. It's saying Jesus will come like a thief when you do not expect. That's the whole point of Matthew 24, of Revelation 3, of Revelation 16, 15. I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake. He's saying, don't get caught, don't get caught unprepared, naked. Don't get caught. We'll come back to that in a minute here. Verse 16 is where they assembled at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. That's where the evil one was assembling troops. That place in Armageddon in Hebrew is also called Megiddo. M-E-G-I-D-D-O if you want to look that up a little bit later. It's a place where some famous Old Testament battles took place. So let's read verses 17 to the end. The seventh bowl. The seventh bowl of judgment. It says this, verse 17, The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne. This is the voice of God saying, It is done. It is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away, and no mountains were to be found. And great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people. And they cursed God for the plague of the hail, because the plague was so severe. We're going to look it up later. Verse 21 is a parallel to Exodus 9, 23-5. At the beginning today we said that the wrath of God's judgment against sin is not an overreaction. If God is righteous and holy, the punishment fits the crime. Which may sound extreme to you and me. But it makes sense because we are not holy. We are not perfect. We are not able to judge perfectly. But, but if God is righteous and holy, then the punishment fits the crime. And if this, if this picture of judgment in Revelation 16 brings death and destruction and damnation for those who worship the evil one, and it brings freedom for those who worship God, and the only question that matters is, are you ready for God to judge? If this picture brings death, destruction, and damnation for those who worship the evil one, and freedom for those who worship God, then the only thing that matters is our preparedness for Him to judge. If this picture is true, then we cannot delay. We are given one life. Judgment is coming. And procrastination is not a good way to prepare. It 
We are given one life. Judgment is coming. And procrastination is not an effective way to prepare for God's coming. There's a classic fable which tells of three apprentice devils who were coming to earth to finish their apprenticeship and they were talking to Satan about their plans to tempt and to to ruin mankind, to turn them against God. The first one said, I will tell them that there is no God. And Satan said, that will not delude very many because they know that there's a God. The second one said, I will tell men that there is no hell. And Satan said, you will deceive no one with that. Men know even now that there is a hell for sin. And then the third said, I will tell men that there is no hurry. And Satan said, go and you will ruin men by the thousands. Friends, the most, the most dangerous of all delusions is that there is plenty of time. The most dangerous of all delusions is that you and I have plenty of time to accept the only possible justification for standing through these judgments by the blood of Christ. The gospel, friends, is that only being justified counted as righteous before God through Christ's perfect sinless life for us will prepare us. There is no other preparation you can make. That's not how this works. You're you're not going to be good enough. You're not going to be smart enough. You will not be secure enough. You will not have enough anything to prepare for that day. Unless your preparation is standing before God through the blood of Christ and His perfect sinless life lived for us. Which is to say that Christ took on the wrath. When Christ was around the table with His disciples, one of the implications was that He was drinking a cup of judgment they could not. They didn't see it at the time. They didn't know what that meant for him to drink that cup of judgment. But at that table, he said to them, though they didn't necessarily yet have ears to hear, he said to them, this cup of judgment I am drinking on myself is something you will drink for all time after I die as a cup of victory because he has redeemed it through his perfect life. That's the only preparation that matters. And that's the gospel to which we invite you as a response in three ways today. If you're a baptized believer in Christ and you're looking for a church home, we'd love to have you as a member at First Christian Church. For us, membership just means publicly proclaiming your faith in Christ and being baptized in uh, the waters as a symbol of your cleansing and your repentance from sin. Secondly, if you've 
never claimed Christ as Lord publicly and you want to come and, and, and declare your, your righteousness before God through his death, burial, and resurrection for you to be baptized, to die to self, to raise to new life in Christ, we invite you to that. And then thirdly, we invite you, if you want to talk, to pray, we'd love to do that with you. So we invite you as we stand and as we sing.